CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's Troy LaRavier here time on the Ben Jarofsky show. This gentleman has been coming on my show ever since I've been uh, in front of a microphone. He stayed with me even after I got fired. Man comes on, whether he agrees with me or disagrees with me, and it's always, he's always very popular. So, Troy, president of Chicago Principals Association, welcome back to the show. My pleasure, Ben. Good to see you. Good to see you, D-Nice. Always a pleasure to be in the company of such uh, incredibly intelligent people. God bless you for saying that. Uh, the check's in the mail. All right, now, uh, we did not do any pre-show prep I just want to not. throw this at Troy said, first. yes. Yeah, usually it's like, Troy, we're going to talk this, we're going to talk that. But and so we, I said, Troy, anything on your mind? He goes, not really, whatever. And so I just sat down and started reading the paper while I uh, waiting for the interview. And I read this fascinating article about Ice Cube and all these rappers uh, who come out for Trump, most of whom I do not know. I must confess, Troy, you know this. We've talked about this. I'm old. I, I, I basically stopped listening to music in 79. So Ice Cube, please don't get mad at me if I'm uh, not a, like a real, you know, knowledgeable about your music, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, I'll just start with a very general question. Uh, your thoughts on this, a prominent, uh, like uh, 50 Cent, Ice Cube, and uh, this guy I never heard of, a uh, little something, I can't even read my writing. Uh, there's three rappers that I saw in this article uh, that came out, uh, either endorsing uh, President Trump or in the case of Ice Cube, uh, praising President Trump. Your general thoughts on this. You know, the, this is probably not where you thought I was going to go with this, man. But when I was in college, I was a big Ice Cube fan. And I loved uh, his first three albums. Um, America's Most Wanted, Kill at Will, and Death Certificate. And Death Certificate, the last cut on it is this cut called No Vaseline, which is considered one of the greatest sort of diss beef records of all time. And he's talking about Easy e and he has this line where he goes, I'll never have dinner with the president. I'll never have dinner with the president. I'll never have dinner with the president. And when I see your ass again, I'll be hesitant because I'm going <laughs> to think you a snitch. Half now, I was about to curse, but he's just snapping off on Easy e for his relationship with, I think, then maybe Bush. Um, and so it's interesting to see Ice Cube 30 years later come full semi-circle <laughs> uh, behind, you know, Trump. Um, it, it's just odd, man. But with that said, um, you know, this idea of, uh, there's two ways I can look at this outside of, you know, that just immediate memory from my college years. Um, this idea about taxes. You know, you know, rappers are not the only, it's interesting how, you know, we frame stuff. You know, rappers wanting to vote for Trump so that they don't have to pay taxes. There's millions of people who want to vote for Trump <laughs> so that they don't, because they don't want to pay taxes. In other words, they don't want to invest in their country. I mean, that's what our taxes are. It kills me with all this people, pull all this patriotic bullshit about support the troops. What the hell do you think? supporting the troops what do you think supports them <laughs> right your tax dollars support them but you don't want to pay them you know it's like there's a disconnect in american culture in general with um the systems we put together to fund our country and our supposed love for our country love is sacrifice and i don't know other other greater sacrifice outside of sacrificing your life than sacrificing your dollar to make something better um you know albeit you know there's so much fucking corruption in this country and in our government that i think people who are hesitant to want to pay toward governmental expenses because they think it's you know um it's going to be wasted that's one thing but i don't think that's where it's coming from this is just people who not want to invest in their country and to the extent that that's what it is 
you know, it, it, it's a great hypocrisy. It's selfish. Uh, no matter who is behind that desire to not want to contribute through the systems, revenue streams that make our country what it is, that fund our roads, our, our bridges, that built the internet, you know, all this stuff, um, that, like, make us a country. Uh, you don't want to invest in that. And that says a lot about how much you love or don't love uh, this place that we call America, whether you are a rapper or whether you Trump or whether you are a neoliberal Democrat. Uh, mm -hmm. It says a lot about you. So I don't know if that's where you were going. Yeah, no, I, uh, uh, yeah, that's what I, I, there's a couple of thoughts I had about this trend, but uh, I absolutely agree with you that I think the impetus uh, for really wealthy, successful people like Ice Cube and 50 Cent, and the gentleman's name is Lil Pump, uh, is they don't want to pay their taxes. And it's the same impetus that got Donald John Trump uh, to duck and dodge the tax man for so many years with all his right. scams. It's the same impetus that got J.B. Prisker, for that matter, to take the toilets out of his Gold Coast apartment or his Gold Coast condo or whatever mansion so he could lower his property tax. People are always trying to shield their income from the tax man. And uh, at the same time, they extol the virtues of America. I would have more uh, respect I think, I don't know if respect's the right word, appreciation for Ice Cube, if he just came out and said it, listen, I'm a billionaire, I'm very successful, I'm a producer, a rapper, an actor, an investor, I run a three, uh, the basketball league, I'm sick of, I'm paying taxes, but no, he dresses it up like there's some greater thing out there, like his plan for America. Now, please explain to me, Troy LaRavier, how can you have a plan for America if people don't pay their taxes? I just need to know that. Could you explain that to me? Help me out here, Troy. Your plan is the disintegration of American institutions. That's your plan. You can have a plan. It's just not a good plan. All right? The disintegration of the institutions that hold this country together for the majority of us. I mean, they're not going to disintegrate the social safety net for rich people, you know, the bailouts and everything that they need to the, the, the government to do, the police force, the army, the navy, they're not gonna disintegrate that. They're not going to sort of chew away at the foundations of the uh, things that need to be funded that basically create this system of socialism for rich people. They want to chew away at the foundations that uh, support the rest of us. And that's their plan. That's been the Republican plan since God knows when. It's it's nothing new. It's a new flavor or, or a new name to a new name to the same flavor. All right. And uh, the other point uh, that is raised, which I do think has a lot of resonance it has to do with the fact that Democratic Party takes black voters for granted. Uh, and uh, Ice Cube has said this. I mean, at least like 50 Cent doesn't even say that. He goes, I want to be 50 Cent, not 20 Cent, which is actually not a bad line. Uh, but Ice Cube says, well, they take the uh, Democratic Party takes black voters for granted. So that's part of the reason why I want to encourage black people to at least consider voting for Trump. What's your uh, thoughts on that? I think it's a bullshit line. You know, I don't think the party takes any voters for granted. It's just like this line that keeps getting repeated that nobody ever really thinks about. It's like, you know, because black people tend to vote Democratic in large numbers, they've created this extra line. Like, that's the truth. Black people tend to vote Democratic, <laughs> excuse me, historically in large numbers ever since FDR. Uh, that is a true statement. The Democratic Party takes black voters for granted is not a true statement. And so that just has to be challenged. You know, the 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 reality, I think whenever you hear that statement, you have to correct it. No, it's not that they take black voters for granted. It's that black voters tend to vote Democratic historically more often than they vote for Republican. And there's a reason for that. Right? Republican Party is the home of some of the most racist anti-worker ideologies. Uh, they hurt working people in general. 
and they hurt black people in particular. And that's the reason that most black folk tend to vote Democratic. And it's the reason that we should continue to vote Democratic. So I think you just you address that by just challenging the assumption in the first place. Um, you know, if they took us for granted, they wouldn't be courting our vote. Right. Well, our vote gets courted every goddamn election cycle. Taking for granted means I dismiss you. I'm not going to try to get your vote. I'm not going to run any commercials on, on networks. I'm not going to have events. I'm not going to discuss your issues. Right. Black Lives Matter wouldn't be a part of what Democrats are saying right now if black votes were taken for granted. And so the line itself is bullshit and it needs to be called out and then pivoted toward what the reality is. And that's that we tend to vote Democratic um, uh, far more than we would Republican. And then there's a reason for that. And then you just list out all of Republican bullshit, <laughs> anti-worker, anti-black, and then you keep stepping. You know, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people, you know, Democrats, um, leftists, get sucked into that BS and like have an argument with these people like as if they are taking it for granted. No, they're not. Right? And, but they are voting for them. Uh, they do court our votes, which shows that they're not being taken for granted. And this is why we vote for them. Yeah. By the way, before I close this uh, section of the interview, I have to say the thing that strikes me, I shake my head. Uh, I do not know, as I said at the outset, much about uh, the music of Ice Cube. I do know that there's one song that he has it's called Fuck the Police. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one of his most prominent songs from way back when, in uh, maybe late 80s, early 90s, I don't know. It's been around for a long time. And it, I just find it so twisted that Ice Cube was brought on to Fox TV and Fox TV gives him that... that <laughs> position to talk about how he's sympathetic to Trump and they talk about how this is a viewpoint that should be heard and then the very next day they're going to go around Fox TV promoting Donald Trump's line that all these people who talk all protesters all Democrats are a bunch of leftist thugs who want to defund our police de-arm our police leave us exposed to the mercies of criminals all the things that Ice Cube was talking about in 1991 and they never Fox never talks to him about fuck the police and I that really grinds my gears, Troy Larabier. It's like, what a bunch of phonies. You're going to prop up Ice Cube to promote Donald Trump, and they're going to use the spirit of his song to try to scare white people away from voting for Democrats. I mean, that's Republicans in general. They're the most hypocritical, <laughs> um, contradictory people I have ever seen in my life. They will say one thing. I mean, Trump himself is a contradiction of the Republican Party. All that bullshit. Remember all that bullshit family value stuff we had to sit through <laughs> from them? And all of a sudden, they just dropped all of that shit for Trump. And then they just dropped all of that anti-police shit because Ice Cube made a point that they want to promote. You know, it doesn't matter to them so long as they, they don't, all they give a fuck about is the W. Yeah. That's all they care about, man. And in terms of Ice Cube lines, dude, I could spit. <laughs> so I could just do a show right now, fresh out of school, because I was a high school grad. High school grad. Got to get a job because I was a high school dad. Wish I got paid by a rapper to the nation, but that's not likely. So here's my application. Pass it to the man at AT&T. Because when I was in school, I had the AEE. -E. But there's no SC for this youngster. I didn't have no money. So now I got to punch a clock at a slave and be half a man. Because Whitey says there's no room for the African. And I could go on oh. and on and on. That <laughs> is correct. Wow. Dude, so I am deeply disappointed in Ice Cube right now. Because... I'm telling you, his first three, really his first four albums, but really the, the first three um, were just pivotal in my formative years from the age of about 19 to 24, man. And it was like sort of my coming of the age, coming into my consciousness as a black person, and Ice Cube played a big role in that with the things he went through with his transformation. Uh, so it is like... A, 
it is like a clown show to watch this man yeah i can imagine what it is for you because i for the comparable thing for me is if bob dylan came out and oh, said God. i love johnny trump yeah <laughs> if, he, no, if Bob Dylan, no no that would be more like if chuck d now chuck d because <laughs> ice cube was never like ice cube had his sort of black phase right and people kind of knew it was a phase for him uh chuck d was more like a bob dylan now if chuck d came out like that then i would I don't know, man. I, I I might just have to go into some kind of deep depression for a while. <laughs> that would be more like Bob Dylan. Chuck right. D, for your listeners, is the lead rapper of Public Enemy. Yes. Uh, the greatest hip-hop group of all time. Thank wow. You. Wait a minute. Hold it. I know nothing about hip-hop. Uh, again, I stopped listening to music in 1979. But you were extolling the virtues of another hip-hop group as the greatest of all time, I think, on one of our shows. And I'm trying to convey the memory of the name. They're from New York. Uh, and uh, the queen, they're from Queens in New York. And you talk about Tribe? Yes! Now, I never said they're the greatest. I did bust one of their raps for you. But I never said Tribe is the greatest. And I, don't even, I don't even think they're close to the greatest. I just I, think they're great. Yeah. Are they in the top five? Try No. Top five, top please. Five. Go. Troy LaRavier right now. Be, oh, God. Top five hip-hop groups. Jesus Christ, man. You really got me on the spot here. Um, you going to let me. I have to put a list together. Man. I got to come back to this, man. You really got to. Are some that come to mind right now? Yes. Um, and I, again, it wouldn't be my top five. As I'm thinking, I'm thinking like X-Clan, but no, that wouldn't be top five. Oh, I, I'm sorry, dude. I'm you have to have number a uh, number one. Yeah, my number one is PE. Public, public enemy. enemy. You said that already. Okay. Number one is Public Enemy, without a doubt. Um, but groups, man, I have to come back. To well, you know what? You're gonna have to get more into jazz. I do not believe any jazz significant uh, jazz musician has endorsed Donald Trump. Hmm. I, I I just think about that, and maybe they don't make as much money as the rappers or the. I can't even think of a. Yeah, I, I cannot think of one. Uh, there's and they've been in the history. Lionel Hampton, uh, a great uh, vibe player. He he was a Republican, but he was a Republican back in the fifties, uh, Troy. When you know what I mean, it was like right. legitimate to be a Republican. I mean, a Republican in the fifties was like. Um, like a middle-of-the-road Democrat today. Yeah, it's like a middle-of-the-road. All right, speaking of middle-of-the-road Democrats, I'm going to be the transition. That's another thing I was reading in the newspaper when I wasn't uh, reading about uh, Ice Cube and uh, Lil Pump and uh, 50 Cent, and that is Joe Biden's closing argument that he's making in Georgia, where is he appealing to the goodness in, uh, of Americans uh, that we can uh, overcome our political divisions and be one nation uh, and put aside all the strife of the last four years. Uh, do you buy that? Do you think that's uh, a message that resonates with Americans today? I don't even know if I heard the message, man. <laughs> Repeat that. Like I'm, I was listening for a message in that, and I didn't hear it. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, no, I get you. Uh, and that's my fault, not uh, Joey B's fault. Uh, jo Joe Biden gave a speech in Georgia. Wait, let me see if I can call it up. Where he was talking about that uh, it's time campaigning in Georgia now a battleground. Biden promises national unity. He cast President Trump as a charlatan and a con man uh, as he challenged him, a state Democrats haven't carried since 1992. And he championed themes that join all Americans together, values that they have that make them one, as opposed to the political divisions that keep them apart. Um, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I, mean, I think that's just a speech, man. <laughs> I think that's just a speech. I don't think Joe Biden or anyone in the Democratic Party has a clue about how to move forward with that. Um, I mean, you just listen to Joe Biden's talking points on um, fracking or defunding the police. Like, whether you agree with it or not, you have to be able to get people to see one another's perspective. Mm -hmm. 
if you were going to have any kind of unity. You're going to have to be able to... Obama was good at this, at talking through it, but he didn't follow up with the program. You know, being able to articulate why someone would want to would champion an issue like that to help someone else understand it and not just come out uh, and pander and say, you know, I won't defund the police. I won't stop fracking. Like, he just doesn't have, and his campaign doesn't have, so I would imagine his administration doesn't have the ability to do the kind of empathetic, perspective-taking um, conversation, to create that kind of conversation, to do what he says he wants to do. And you can see it in his campaign, so how in the hell would he be able to do it? Now, maybe, who knows, you know, Maybe in one out of 1,000 odds that, you know, he may switch it up <laughs> after the campaign and all of this, you know, he might do Abraham Lincoln on us, you know, where he says some certain, says some center things just to get into the presidency and when the moment is right, emancipation proclamation. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But I don't think he has it in him, man. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it did make sense. It took Lincoln two years to get to the Emancipation Proclamation, okay? Uh, yeah, when the moment's right. <laughs> yeah, the moment's right, and it was a tactic and a tool, we all know, to win the Civil War, but nonetheless, he did the... No, I, I should not question a man's motives. He did the right thing. Um, you know he. You know why he You know why he was killed. You know why John Wilkes, Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln? Why? Because he heard Abraham Lincoln at a speech declare his intention to ensure that black people got voting rights after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So he kept pushing it. Every time he saw an opportunity, people keep down on Lincoln because of all these political BS he said so that he'd get elected. But Lincoln, unlike any other politician I've seen, seems to have looked for every opportunity to actually follow through on real like the, the most sort of radical parts of his agenda, at least radical for those times. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew what would survive, he knew what wouldn't, and if he had the political capital at that time, was the moment is right, he tried, he seemed to have tried to push through uh, the things that needed to get pushed through. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm hoping that uh, uh, we'll get to this, what happened this summer, but some of the stuff, uh, so much of the rhetoric I heard over the summer regarding uh past leaders, statues, etc. There was a lot of Lincoln bashing that suddenly became popular for a while. So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. You know, on that. I just think uh, it's really unfair to a guy that lived in 1860 in a totally different world, Troy LaRavie. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, I hear what you're saying. I have a, I don't know if we have time for my perspective on that. <laughs> go ahead. Yes, we do. Well, I mean... When we do this bashing BS, man, it's like the actual models. What we're trying to do is get people to change their minds, mm-hmm. right? We want racists to stop being racist, right? We want people who had biased beliefs to stop holding biased beliefs. And so when often when we see people who had biased beliefs and don't have them anymore or said one thing that was racist as fuck and then changed their mind, you know, we focus on the fact that they once held the racist belief and we want to down them and screw and just like, like make them like the enemy of, you know, history. And what we end up doing is hurting ourselves because what we have in those people is the example of what, for what we want people in this country right now to do. Like these are people who had a belief and you, you can use the lives of these people to model the actual process that we want people to um, mirror today. But instead of doing that and holding them up for the examples that they are and having believe one thing one way, we just want to focus on what they believed at one point in their life and then trash them. And at the end of the day, that does nothing right now for our efforts to sort of change the perspectives and get people today to see things in a new way. Cause, and we attack people today the same freaking way. And we heard, we, we end up built, we end up burning our bridges. Cause I'll give you an example. And this may sound ridiculous. Um, I heard a guy, that conversation that you and I had, 
remember when we were talking about the kids who uh, you saw under the, I think you were going to the lakefront under the bike, under wow. the bike thing. What and a memory you, were, you have. Yes, go ahead. Right? Yeah. And, and you were talking about how you felt a little fear. Yeah. And it turns out the kid knew you. It was like, hey, Ben, it's a bunch of black kids. But you yeah. felt a little, hes- fear is not the word to use, but there was some heads. So you felt something that you would not have felt. It was a bunch yeah. of white kids there. And I've had the same thing walking by black folks and have felt something that I know I would not have felt if it was a bunch of white kids, right? So that prejudice, that bias is built into us, right? Mm-hmm. So you and I have it. Now let's imagine we're talking to someone who's more on the racist end, right? Mm-hmm. We have just some, like, what you end up, what we could, what we can actually do instead of saying, you know, oh, you're a horrible person, you believe this shit, you can start off with a person and go, you know what? I kind of flinch up when I'm walking past black people too, just like you probably do. However, I know that that's a bias in me that has no basis in reality. Right? Like, and what you end up doing is instead of you end up starting your conversation with that racist from a place where you share the same fucking thing, this feeling like what, that person understands that feeling that they have as instinct or their gut. What you know is it's not your instinct. It's not your gut. Your guts have been hijacked. Your, your instincts have been compromised by this culture that's conditioned you to feel that way. Right? He doesn't know that yet, but you both feel it. And what you use, you use that place where you share this, this hysterical, this ridiculous, uh, biased belief you share it as a way to bring them over to the other side of the bridge. It's that place that you have in common with them. So instead of a, like starting a conversation with an attack on how they feel, which is going to shut them down completely, you start the conversation from the point of view where you know you share something. You know you both share a bias against black people because you can't be in America and not have that bias. We all have it, right? But the but that 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 place where that bias exists is actually the bridge to get people to come over and say, hey, there's something wrong with that feeling. That's not your gut. Your gut has been hijacked. That's not your instincts. Your instincts have been compromised and conditioned. Uh, but we, we always do the fucking attack. Mm-hmm. And we not only attack people who are right here in our culture right now, we attack fucking historical figures. And so yeah. we never take advantage <laughs> yeah. of the opportunity to say, wait a minute, there's a universal negative thing happening right here that we all have in common. Let's see how Lincoln dealt with that thing. Let's look at the progression of his life. Let me tell you how I dealt with that thing. Let's look at the progression of my life so, and use that as a way to bring people over to our to our side, because ultimately that's what the, we need a fucking majority. Mm. Right? And you're not going to get a majority attacking people. You're yeah. going to get a majority starting a conversation off with where you both uh, reside, that similar place, that that area of connection. And then once you connect, bring them over. Yeah. And we don't do that. All we do is attack, whether it's live and direct in 2020 or in 1865, we attack. Yeah. Well, uh, need a majority i uh I pick up on that you, you offered a lot of thoughts in that last riff and i'm just gonna pick up a need a majority because the actual political system we have uh in our country right now you actually do not need a literal majority to seize control to seize most of the power as we learned in 2016 and learned in, tw- in 2000 donald trump did not get a majority uh, he just won enough votes in enough swing states to win the electoral college mm-hmm. and declare uh, a mandate that he didn't, it did not in fact have. And he used that declaration of a mandate together with the control of the Senate to uh, nominate and get three Supreme court justices on, <laughs> in the, in the Supreme court with, who will then vote to consolidate the power Uh and so it's really frustrating, uh, Troy, as I view this next uh, election, realizing that we're up against so much in our country. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, it's it's beyond needing a majority. You know, it's 
it's it's almost like trying to convince people who disagree with where we are to vote for us while not discouraging lefties who feel we're betraying our values if we move too far to the center to win them over. It's really difficult for Democrats, is if what I'm saying, because it's beyond needing a majority. We like need a super majority. Very frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So if I was to get more specific, we need to grow our side, <laughs> right? We need to, whatever it is, we need to increase our numbers, you know, and, and whether you need a majority or a super majority, you need to increase the people who believe and vote and act on the things that you believe, vote, and want to act on. Mm-hmm. Right? And in order to do that, there's a certain approach you have to take, and we don't take that approach was the point. Now, to your point, you are certainly right. Into, what Republicans have figured it out is that they're not going to get in the majority. Right. They figured it out. Their ideas stink. And their ideas, they cannot sell their ideas to enough people to get more than half of the people in this country to agree with them. They figured that out. right? And so they have put in systems with the power they do have to ensure that as many of the votes, they don't believe, they don't believe in democracy. I mean, they said fuck democracy a long time ago. They have set up systems to ensure that people who don't believe what they believe can't vote or are less likely to vote. Right? The crap they did in North Carolina, where the Supreme Court over, like not the Supreme Court, the federal court um, came down with a decision that said that they targeted black people for anti-voting measures with surgical precision. That's the words of the court. Surgical precision. What they've done in Wisconsin, where they've gerrymandered things so much that even though every single election cycle, Democrats get most of the votes, Republicans get most of the seats. What they're doing, they figured it out. Their ideas stink. They're stale. They can't sell them to more than half of the American people. And so that they have to create a system that will allow them to maintain, gain or maintain power without a majority. Uh, and so to, in that sense, you are certainly right. Uh, but but the, the, the route to power remains the same. You have to increase, you have to continue to increase your numbers for whatever strategy you eventually intend to pursue. Um, one of the um, avenues towards success is either in, basically increasing your resources. Mm-hmm. Your resources can be your money, your resources can be the amount of people you have, but you got to increase one or the other or both. All right. Let me ask you this: uh, When you think about what went hap- what went down this summer with the protest, uh, civil unrest, do you think that Democrats increased their numbers over the summer, or do you think they decreased their numbers over the summer? That's a good question, man. Um, I think, for the most part, I'd say increase. I think that. The backlash is overhyped um, in terms of the backlash against um, the idea that Black Lives Matter and the people behind that idea. Um, so I think we certainly increased quite a bit to the extent that the worth of black lives was an issue that made someone either a Democrat or not or push someone toward the Democratic Party or not, uh, I'd say they gained. Um, and I'd say they gained, you know, because what happened to you know, George Floyd, what happened to Breonna Taylor, what happened to all of these beautiful black people um, was so evident, so unjust, um, that, you know, it was very difficult for reasonable people who weren't already on one side or the other to turn away from that. Now, with that said, I don't know how many of those reasonable people, for how many of them, that was the issue that either made you a Democrat or not, or vote for a Democrat or not. You know, you got the economy, you got religious stuff, um, you got the environment. So... I have no idea the extent to which that issue 
is the make or break point for a certain percentage of um, the population. Um, what do you think? <laughs> Well, I struggle with this um, a lot and uh, because I think this gets at the heart of what I was trying to articulate about 10 minutes ago. Uh, and that is that the push for social justice uh, often forces the Democrats to uh, stumble over these these minefields, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm getting my metaphors mixed up. But uh, it's very volatile. It's very difficult. Uh, white people get really scared really fast and really upset really fast. And it doesn't take much. And uh, there was the uh, the looting that occurred over the summer, Troy, and then immediately I'm reading articles in the newspaper. Uh, they didn't say white people, but they might as well have said it. Leaving Chicago. That's it. They've had enough. And they would interview angry North Side residents, Gold Coasters. I'm outraged that this would happen in my city. And there'd be, you know, some guy would be sweeping up the, the glass. This is terrible. And then there would be stories about uh, how Lori Lightfoot and the police chief and the aldermen are really concerned that people would leave the downtown. And I'm like, wow, we, I'm not in any, I always have to say this, I'm not condoning rioting and smashing of windows and looting i'm not i'm just saying man one bad night one bad night you guys are leaving town already you know i so i struggle with this you know but you still have to push for social justice right black lives do matter right and uh, i live downtown i live on michigan avenue got a place and I was there in the midst of all that madness. And I had to walk outside, see how everything fucking boarded up, all the damage. And it is, uh, it's not a, a good thing to have to, 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 to experience on a day-to-day -day basis. However, you know, and it's the way our media spends it, man. <laughs> like, that that as a, I don't like it, and as a result, like I I, I want to be even more uh, like I understand the cause of this shit was the taking of innocent black people's lives. So if I don't like this shit, I want to make sure that we put in policies for policing and that that prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. Like like folks. When this didn't occur, when innocent black people's lives, without like the spark for all of these, there's never been one of these where the spark was not the taking of an innocent black person's lives or the brutalization of a black person. So if you don't like this shit, stop taking the innocent, stop taking black people's lives, stop brutalizing black people, and that connection. You know, and I said so disappointed to see the mayor not make that connection when she has repeated opportunities to do so. Like I hate this shit too. So what are we gonna do about and yeah, and it just happens to be happen every time an innocent black person's lives get taken. What are we gonna do about that? To flip it every single fucking time. But you know, they go in the looters and the this or that. No, the murder the people who murdered black people sparked this shit. What are we gonna do about them? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I'm just saying, so but my, this gets back to my original question was, uh, you, it's like I said, the challenge that Democrats face is to grow the numbers. Uh, and then, look, there was a guy named James, we go ahead. Which is, I'm, I'm so, which go, my point here is that, getting back to your point about Democrats, like, you know, when I say that to your original question that, I think overall it was a game. It's close. And yeah. part of the reason it's close, or I might even be wrong, is because they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to get up and staunchly defend black folks' lives. And then they end up talking about the looters and and 
un and unconsciously by repeating the whole talking points about the looters, you know, saying that they don't agree with them, they end up repeating the talking points of their adversaries and strengthening that concept of looting in the minds of the voters. They end up fucking themselves up. They need to come out, getting back to your question, if they want to make this a game and continuously refocusing people's attention on the taking of black lives that causes, one, the taking of black lives in itself should fucking incense you, but it's also the taking of black lives that created this looting that should also incense you. Either way you go, you need, we need to come together and do something about, you know, that thing that happened with uh, Tony Preckwinkle and, and Lightfoot was a fucking thing of beauty. You know, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. And I wanted to go hug Tony Preckwinkle. <laughs> Did you hear about the press conference where a reporter was at? Tony Preckwinkle came out after the Breonna Taylor decision. Lightfoot and Preckwinkle came out together. And the reporter asked, uh, and Preckwinkle did her thing and then stepped back. And then Lightfoot got to the podium. And then the reporter was asking about the looting. And then Preckwinkle was like, yeah, excuse me, <laughs> basically interrupted Lightfoot and asked for the podium back. And she was just like, this black woman is dead. And you asking us about fucking looting. <laughs> like, this black woman is dead and she did not get justice. And immediately you want to pivot to a possibility of looting. Like, those weren't her words, but that was a sentiment as I understood it. Like, she got it. Like, that's what has that's how you have to do it. That's how you get back on message. That's how you keep people's focus, attention focused on, on what matters. And, and in the end, end up winning those people by taking away the talking point of the people who are standing against you. Yeah. Don't champion the talking points of that undercut your message. I'm with you on that one. All right, we're going to close down with two questions. I, I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget uh, the whole issue of closing the schools. And then the final thing will pivot. We'll get your predictions. All right, so I'm just preparing you for what's going to ahead of you. You're going to have to make a prediction, and we're going to hold you to it the next time you come on the show. Uh, all right, so we'll start with closing the schools and uh, or opening the schools, and we're talking freely with Troy LaRavier, his worldviews, political views, his views on rap and hip-hop and uh, uh, Ice Cube, et cetera, and so forth. But his day job is he's the uh, president of the Chicago Principals Association, and for uh, uh, many years he was a principal of a school here in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, so, Troy, what's your thoughts? Should we uh, reopen the schools uh, in the next month or so? While the pandemic is hot and heavy, should we hold off your thoughts? So, uh, I mean, basically, no. Um, I like the idea of starting off with kids who are uh, in pre-K. I think that's the one thing CPS got right, like the starting point. Mm -hmm. We start with a small population. And those kids who have, um, who are, and um, so very intensive special education programs, we call them cluster programs. I like that idea. But where CPS usually goes wrong, one, they don't involve teachers and principals in the planning of this stuff. And as a result, they always come out with plans that are not plans. Right? When you have teachers and principals at the table, right, when, you, when they come out with these plans, we get them and we go, we find 50 different holes in them that they didn't address. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, They have this thing called a care room (laughs) where if a student gets sick, the student gets sent to that room. Um, But they don't have policies, they don't have procedures, and they don't have resources. Who's going to staff this room? What are the policies for this room going to be? And principals are like, and what happens when no one wants to sit in a room full of kids who might have COVID? Mm-hmm. And CPS has no end. Like when I when I can't get a staff member to do this, are you going to hire someone? Are you going to get a nurse? What are you going to do? And so, like, there's a, you know, the ideas right there. We'll have this the bar. We'll have this. We'll reopen. We'll have this room. 
And then there's no meat or substance or policies or procedures or staffing behind it. And principals end up, you know, end up sort of like you just got to have to make it work with no plan. Mm -hmm. And that is just one example. There are at least 50 to 100 just like Mm -hmm. that. And every time they come out with a reopening plan, there's a hole in it that's not filled. And part of it is because. They don't bring, they don't have the people who have to implement the stuff, teachers and principals at the table when they're coming up with it. It's like it was, the stuff was developed by a bunch of pencil pushers who have never spent a day in a school. Uh, it's insane that they continue to do this. And if the public, you're wondering why CTU pisses on every plan that CPS comes out with, that's why, because there are always holes in it. It's typically understaffed. The procedures and the policies that need to be in place to make it work aren't there. And the staffing that needs to be in place to make it work typically isn't there. Uh, sometimes the safety protocols and equipment, although that's probably one of the better areas uh, that CPS has improved in in terms of getting stuff out in schools that folks need. Um, but the policies, procedures, and staffing, no. So short answer yeah, yes, I would like to see schools open if, number one, the science behind it, and I think the science is a five to anywhere between five to eight percent positivity rate. Some say over five, some say over eight, but definitely if it's over eight, it shouldn't be happening uh, based on the science. Uh, That's not me and my expertise. That's me relying on the other's expertise. And ensuring that the policies and procedures and resources and staffing are in place uh, if we meet the under 8% or under 5% threshold. So if those, if all that's in place, yes, I love to see schools open. Um, it's never going to happen, unfortunately, with the leadership in CPS, the way they do things. They just don't know how to bring people together to create a plan that everybody can agree on. Yeah. Well, I, uh, this is probably a topic for another conversation, uh, another time, but, uh, this has been the mindset of Chicago public schools for as long as I've been following them. And, and I go back following them to the sixties. I mean, it's always top down. It's always shut up and do what we tell you. It's always, here's the script, read from it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Uh, and it's particularly the case now where, and I, and I fought Mayor Lightfoot for this, this very contentious relationship she has with the Chicago Teachers Union. And by the way, with the Chicago Principals Association, they don't love the Chicago Principals Association either. I don't understand. And the, I always point this out, Troy. Uh, I can't remember if you're a basketball fan or not, but when the NBA wanted to open up and go to the bubble, Chris Paul, the head of the union, the head of the players union, met with one of the leaders of Disney. It was going to basically the corporate sponsor of it all. And they went for a walk and they talked over some like basic things that the players needed. And then the union was brought in immediately to negotiate and talk I negotiate is not even really the right word just to figure things out with Adam Silver. I mean, like negotiation, strategize, strategize. let's put the best brains we have. We have the same objective in Chicago. It's never like that. It's like, shut up. This is what we're going to tell you, because that's so Chicago. And that's the attitude that has existed in the Chicago public schools, reinforced by the mayors that we've had for as long as I can remember. Yeah, and the insanity of doing it right now is that you can't open without the teachers. You can't. So why don't you bring, like, back in the day when the union was perhaps weak and you could run roughshod over them, you can't do that. And so bring them to the damn table. And it's like something is wrong with the way their minds function because no matter how much crap you bring to the table, the union if it's not right, the union's going to piss on it and you will not be able to <laughs> No, but you know I don't want to go down the, the, in the rabbit hole of editorial pages but every, every editorial I read be the sometimes the Tribune there's this line where they talk about how important it is to open the school, but we have to be safe. And then they go, whatever you do, don't listen to the Chicago Teachers Union. I'm like, why are you saying, 
Why, why would you tell the mayor that? Why would you reinforce this very autocratic impulse that's not healthy for anyone by telling her, don't listen to the Chicago teachers. You, Troy, Man, the was, city's insane. I was talking to uh, an unnamed member of the of CTU, of CTU hierarchy. Uh, and I was saying, look, we need, together, we need to get together and create our own reopening plan. Because CPS keeps creating these bullshit plans that won't work. And without us at the table, let us build the table of our own and create a plan. And then bring in the health experts, bring in the engineers for the schools. We're going to have to implement some of this cleanliness and um, ventilation requirements. Bring in the folks that need to be brought in, representatives, the teachers, the principals, the uh, support staff, the engineers, the medical professionals, and create a reopening plan and for CPS. And put CPS in the position of being the ones who have to either say yes or no, rather than always putting the teachers union and the principals association in a position of having to say no to the CT to CPS's BS plans. You're going to have to say no to plans that we actually put together that can actually work, but are going to have to be funded. You know, and we're still thinking that through. Wow. That that would be impressive. That would that would be a whole other thing. I mean, I talk about CTU working with the uh, CPS. I mean, a lot of acronyms. Getting the principals association on the same page with Chicago Teachers Union would be a big start. That would be very healthy and helpful. Well, the conversation has begun. Hopefully, uh, or the conversation about the conversation has begun. So we'll see if the actual conversation starts. And I, I like to think that I had a little hand in that because I, Mick Dumkey and I brought uh, Troy LaRavier and the great Karen Jennings Lewis onto the stage That's at the right. hideout together once. It was a great show. It's a great show that night. That was fun. That was when I was a little political baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As Bob Dylan would say, I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. All right. I'm not going to sing Dylan. We're going to close with Troy LaRavier's prediction. Who will be victorious in uh, the presidential race? Donnie John Trump or Joe Biden? Um, Damn. Let's go ahead with Joe Biden, brother. All right. I like you when you take the confidence. And with Joe Biden. Uh, um, I was going to say, hopefully, Russia will lose the election. I was trying to be creative. Yeah. Uh, but now, just, just go ahead and say Joe Biden. And so, all right. Uh, you got you predict Joe Biden. And so here's the, the, the follow-up question. Who will be mm-hmm. the next majority leader in the Senate? Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell? Schumer. So in other words, the Democrats take the Senate. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, get right on that airplane to Vegas and put your money down. Troy LaRavia has spoken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it's going to be a lot of, if, if hopefully I'm right, but I mean, even if we're right, man, we got so much to fix. Yes. So much to repair, so much work to do. That is so true. Those, those are truer words never been spoken. Even if you're right and the Dems take control, you got to, man, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Still people out of work. Uh, schools can't open. Business is going under your right, Troy. I, I don't want to get depressed. But... I still take my phone out every time my police car gets behind me and start Facebook Live. <laughs> oh, no. Give, give, give Ice Cube a call. It's all good in America today. Come on, give Ice Cube a call. All right, we'll not make fun of any, uh, any Ice Cube stuff. Troy LaRavier, thank you very much. Stay safe and sound. Uh, and you'll be, we'll be talking to you after the election to see if your predictions came true. All right. Yes, sir. Can't wait. All right. That's great. Troy LaRavier. I'm Ben Drafsky. Take care, everybody.